I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. and welcome to the show. This is Once Upon a Gene, and I am your host, Effie Parks. I wanted to let you all know about an upcoming event. It's on June 4th and 5th, 2021, so it's coming up pretty soon. Our friend Carolina Summers, who's the CEO of Born a Hero here in Seattle, she has put together a rare disease summit, and she has put in so much time and hard work. It's going to be amazing. She's done such an incredible job, and you're going to be blown away by the list of panelists and speakers at this event. So head over to Rare Disease fair.com to register and get all the deets. I'll be there along with Once Upon a Gene gal pal, Jill Hawkins of FAM177A1. So I hope you check it out. Okay, let's get into today's episode because it's a good one. And my new pal, he's the executive director at Uplifting Athletes. And he's living proof that you can overcome some of life's most difficult obstacles. He has a steadfast commitment and connection to the rare disease community as a rare brain cancer survivor. After all he's gone through, his passion and drive for uplifting athletes makes him an inspirational hero who fights relentlessly every day so others won't have to face these challenges and isolation on their own. He's just as good as it gets, and he's so real. I had so much fun talking to him, even if we did talk about football a lot, it seemed like. (laughs) Anyways, I hope you enjoy my conversation. Please welcome Rob Long. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) Yes, I'm so excited. I first really heard of you when you had a little cameo on Once Upon a Gene TV. And I was like, wait a second. Why hasn't anybody ever told me about Rob Long? And then I looked you up and you're just the most fascinating person. And I'm so excited that I get to talk to you. Thank you. I am uh, very much looking forward to talking with you. I've seen all the work that you've been doing and uh, I think it's amazing. I think you know, what you're doing for the rare disease community is incredible. So I am thrilled to be a part of this. Wow. Well, thank you very much. And I have to say that I was even more excited that your voice is just like the quintessential like athlete voice. <laughs> <It's> so funny. <laughs> that's good. Oh, that's the first I time it. I got that, but that's a good, I guess a good thing to have. <laughs> Okay, well, Rob, why don't why don't we just start at the beginning? You're so young still, but back in the day, you you started playing football kind of later on, didn't you? Yeah, so I didn't actually. I, I played sports all growing up. Uh, never played football. My mom would never dream of letting me touch a football <laughs> field. So I played uh, primarily soccer, baseball, basketball, hockey growing up. We were in ninth grade. Got my buddies wanted to play. Pop Warner football, and it was like age or weight restricted. And so you couldn't be like more than 135 pounds. And I was probably like, you know, 95, 110 pounds, like soaking (laughs) wet. So there was no issues there. And I was just waiting for my friends. They were playing. I was waiting for my friends after practice. They were playing and I was just kind of kicking the ball around. And the coach said, Hey, we need somebody that can, can kick. You want to, uh, you want to play? And I was like, I was like, oh, I'd love to. I said, but my mom's never going to let me play. So, you know, 
it's really not a discussion. And I got home that day and my mom sat me down at the kitchen table and she said, why did the football coach call me today and ask if you could play football? And I said, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Long story short, I got started. I played uh, played football in ninth grade and just literally messing around with uh, a couple of my friends. And I got a call when I was in 10th grade from the high school coach. And he said, hey, I heard you could kick a little bit. Do you want to play for the high school team? And I was like, oh, man, like, I don't know. And so uh, got the green light from my mom and and started kicking in uh, high school in 10th grade. And uh, that uh, that season in between 10th and 11th grade, I, I learned how to punt. And that was a new skill set that I had added and worked really hard at it. I, I kind of got like addicted. I have a little bit of a perfectionist tendency to try and master whatever I do. And so I worked really hard and uh, had a good year as a junior and and played again as a senior. And I honestly just thought it was something that was fun. And uh, all of a sudden I would come home from school and there were letters in the mail from colleges asking me to come to their school and play football. And it was absolutely shocking. I had uh, an offer from Syracuse University. They gave me a full scholarship to play football at Syracuse. And I was just blown away by the opportunity and I went from playing Pop Warner football in ninth grade to a uh, full scholarship at a division one school in about three and a half years. So it was a, a quick, quick little turnaround for me and set me on an interesting path. That's so awesome. I love that your mom let you play hockey, but yeah. she didn't want you to play football. <laughs> yeah. No, there's strict no football policy. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if you were going to be kicking the ball, though, that was probably something that she would have to consider because it's maybe like the least dangerous spot on the field. I don't know. Yeah. 100% how she justified it in her own head was like, oh, this will be fine. He's just kicking and punting. And then I think when she went up to Syracuse and saw the size of the individuals I'd be playing football with, she was like, oh, I don't know that this is a good idea anymore. (laughs) Oh, that cracks me up. Wow, that's exciting. You're just like this teenager who's maybe graduating in a couple years and who knows if you knew what you were going to do with the rest of your life. And then all of a sudden you realize that you have this special gift and you also have something about your personality, like you said, right, that you kind of have a perfectionist mindset, which I think probably a lot of professional athletes do. Um, yeah, probably. Which just like <laughs> propelled you. Yeah. That's amazing. It was it was interesting. I, um, I honestly like when I started playing, it was just something I was doing for fun. And then, you know, I started getting these scholarship offers and I was like, oh, wow. Like, and by no means was I going to be ending up at a school like Syracuse had I not been playing sports. So, you know, you know, my family definitely just couldn't afford for me to go to Syracuse University just because I wanted to. And so uh, for me to get a scholarship uh, really opened up a ton of opportunities for me. And uh, like I said, it set me on a new path. And when I got to Syracuse, I started playing as a true freshman. And so I was 17 years old at the time playing Division One football, and it was just a, a wild experience. And I'm kind of glad that I was so naive going into all of it because uh, looking back, it was kind of crazy. Yeah, I think that was probably a nice buffer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is 17. That's amazing. That's so young. So then what? What was it like? You started playing football for an incredible university and you didn't know you were going to be doing this. Here you are. You're a sought after member of the team. Then what? Yeah. So the fun part of this is that I had never flown on a plane before. 
uh, I had gotten to Syracuse. And so I, you know, found out going through camp, uh, this the summer camp that I was going to be the starter. And so I was like, wow, like I'm going to be playing, like going to be traveling with the team. And I was like, wow, I've never been on a plane before. And our first game was a home game against the University of Washington. Our second game was my first time ever on a plane. And we flew to Iowa to play the University of Iowa. And there were 70,000 fans there. And it was one of the most surreal experiences of my entire life and went on to have a really good freshman year. Uh, I was a a freshman All-American after that year. And then kind of just was like, oh, wow, like this is something that I could do professionally. And so after that first year, kind of put that thought in my head and it's just what I worked towards. And for me, it was, you know, that was, that became my new goal. It was having fun, going to school, playing football, but wanted to play in the NFL. And that's pretty much what I what I worked towards for the next four years. Yeah, well, this is a rare disease podcast, Rob, and I'm <laughs> not just here to talk about football, even though I've learned a lot about football since marrying my husband. I can kind of hang, <laughs> but <laughs> I know that you discovered an illness while you were at Syracuse University still. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah. So like I said, I I went through my career and by the end of my senior year, I was, you know, just worried about what NFL city I was going to end up in. I was, you know, one of the best punters in the country coming in to that draft that year. And uh, through my senior year, I started to, to kind of not really feel quite like myself. I was having issues with sensitivity to light and uh, I was getting sick in the morning and had headaches almost every day for three months and would they would kind of come and go and so being a sick-headed 21 year old I was like ah it's nothing I will just brush this off and keep moving forward Thanksgiving morning 2010 that kind of all changed I had woken up and was just so sick. I couldn't stop throwing up and I just had no idea what was happening to me. And I I stopped throwing up just long enough to make the trip probably about 300 yards down to the football facility for my apartment. I saw the team doctors there and just said, hey, there's something that's not right. Like I I haven't been feeling well. I need to, you know, see a doctor. Um, And they had sent me to uh, the team doctor, I told him everything that I was had going on. He said, all right, well, we just need to roll things out. So I'm just going to get you an MRI. So I went and got an MRI. This was December 2nd. I uh, went and got an MRI and uh, remember filling out the, the medical questionnaire. And I was on the phone with my mom, just kind of joking with her, you know, how to answer these questions. I had, you know, no idea what I was doing. And I went into the MRI and the radiologist stopped the scans pretty early on. And she came back into the room and was white as a ghost. And I looked at her. I said, wow, she does not look very good. You know, I hope she's all right. And she started very nervously, like trying to comfort me and talk to me and like, just tell me like, hey, we have to run a couple more tests. And I honestly did not think twice about it. I was like, oh, this is a very interesting experience. Got up, walked out, and uh, after my scan was done and and went back to the team doctor to have the results read to me. And that night, sat down, walked into the uh, doctor's office. All my coaches, all the trainers were in the room. And they said, you you should probably, you know, sit down. And I said, all right. And they said, you have a, a large growth in your brain and um, you're going to have to see a specialist first thing in the morning. And it just did not register with me what they were saying. It was just like, okay, you know, I, you know, had just been done playing an entire 
uh, season. I, you know, walked in and out of the, the room by myself. I, I felt more or less normal. And so I called my dad and I said, Hey, you know, they found a, a large growth in my brain. And he said, you gotta be kidding me. And I said, Nope. And I, that is when I found out that my mom's youngest sister, uh, had been diagnosed with breast cancer earlier that day. And so within one day, my mom had her youngest sister diagnosed with uh, breast cancer and uh, her son diagnosed uh, with a brain tumor. And so that was definitely a, a tough day to, to get past. I can't even imagine being a 21-year-old man who's living like his wildest dream at this point and almost getting to an even wilder one to wake up to news like that. I mean, how do you even... With, for lack of a better term, I guess, how do you wrap your brain around that? Yeah, I honestly, I, I couldn't <laughs> for for a while. That next day I went and saw uh, the specialist and that was the first time I think I realized the kind of the severity of the situation. I walked into the doctor's office and up on the screen was my MRI. And I, like most 21-year-old college football players probably had never seen an MRI before, let alone a brain MRI. And I just looked at the screen. I said, I have no idea what I'm looking at. And it was just the top, basically the top-down view of my my head. And you saw the four four quadrants of the brain, more or less. But in the back right quadrant was a, um, a huge white mass. It took up about a quarter of my brain. It's about the size of a tennis ball. And I said, you know, what's that? And the doctor said, that's not supposed to be there. And I said, what do you mean? He said, that, like, that's the tumor. Like, <laughs> that, that's not supposed to be there. And it was at that moment where it felt like I had been hit with a ton of bricks and realized, you know, what was going on. And they told me, they said, you know, where are you from? I said, you know, the Philadelphia area. They said, you need to go home, be with your family. And there's doctors there that will take care of you. And a couple hours later, I was on a plane home to Philadelphia to see a surgeon, neurosurgeon, and figure out what was going on. And so it was just unimaginable, the shift. And like, I when I, I say like, I literally had no other concerns in my life other than what NFL team I was going to go to. And then the snap of the fingers, I did not know that I, you know, I didn't know if I'd wake up the next morning. And it was the hardest thing for me to to get past and and honestly I, I think the mental and emotional damage that it caused has been something that has uh, reverberated long past the uh, physical challenges that I have felt yeah I think everyone listening can definitely resonate with that feeling for sure when you're a part of a football team and you have I mean, you're so close to them that you didn't call the ER. You went to your team doctors when when you knew something was really wrong with you. And then you're told you should leave all of this and go home to your mom, who told you not to come here anyways. And <laughs> I mean, did you feel like you lost everything in the football world? Or were you like, you know what, I'm going to be able to still do this. Everyone's going to be with me. Or did you just kind of feel completely alone then? Or was it after you kind of had to go through all of that hideous treatment that one has to go through that really made you feel separate? Honestly, the answer is both. I felt I've never felt more alone and isolated. But at the same time, I knew that my teammates and the Syracuse University community, the football community, like I knew they were there to support me. But there was 
nothing anyone could tell me that provided really any bit of comfort. And I think the only thing that I wanted for so long was the one thing I couldn't have. And that was a doctor to tell me that everything was going to be all right. And those were for a long time, the only words that I was seeking out. And unfortunately, the reality of the situation was is no doctor in their right mind would tell me that, um, given the scenario that I had found myself in. And no matter how supportive my family was, or my friends were, or my teammates were, there was this thing that just kind of sat in my stomach that was just resonating, like, this is what you have to deal with. Like, this is your reality no matter what else happens in your world, like your time is now finite. And at 22 years old to realize that is a challenging thing to experience. Where did you finally get that support that maybe put a little light in there for you? Was it all from yourself? Was it you with that mentality of being an athlete and being so driven and just being a positive person overall? Or was there something specific that kind of helped you get on a road of, I don't know, finding your community or having hope that there would be not just like a devastating ending? Yeah, it was certainly a journey. I by no means did it alone. I have an unbelievable family and network of friends that cared so deeply about me and and have taken care of me in in more ways that I'm than I could ever repay but it it took a long while and I think the biggest thing for me you know for so long I was trying to escape my reality and I was trying to escape my reality through football and through sports and even given the diagnosis that I had even given the treatment protocol that I was going to have to go through I just maintained this idea that I wanted to play football. I wanted to play in the NFL. I was not going to let this cancer determine when I was done playing football or when I was done living my life. Those were going to be on my terms. And it was that kind of general attitude towards it that kind of kept me going. Now, looking back at it, it was utterly ridiculous to think that I was going to play football. (laughs) But at the same time, it's what kept me going. And I continually just worked out and trained and did whatever I had to do to get healthy. And, you know, aside from wanting to play football, my family has been deeply impacted by cancer. And my mom is one of seven her father passed away from brain cancer when she was just seven years old. He was 36 years old when he passed away. Her mom passed away from breast cancer when she was just 52 years old. My mom's oldest brother passed away from testicular cancer at at 43. My mom's oldest sister passed away from breast cancer at uh, 56. And my aunt, who was diagnosed with, with breast cancer the same day I was, diagnosed with my brain cancer, was in remission and diagnosed with a primary brain tumor in 2015 and, and passed away in less than 12 months. And for me, part of my driving force through all of this and through the years was that I didn't want my mom to have to lose me. And I didn't want my parents to to have to deal with that. And it was those things that along with football, along with everything that was instilled in me through football, you know, working out and getting up at 6am, you know, 
taking care of business that I need to. I'd work out, I'd you know do my classwork, I'd do everything that I needed to do to to be successful. And that's just kind of what kept me going. And for so long, it was trying to channel everything. I honestly wanted to try and find a way to cure brain cancer by making it to the NFL and raising a ton of money and and finding a cure. And that kind of whole attitude was not a, a great one to carry with me. I was carrying a burden of not only myself, but a lot of other people every time I, you know, went to an NFL tryout or, or workout. And I was, I was really miserable. I was working out for NFL teams. I was trying everything that I could to, to stay in shape. I worked out for the Cleveland Browns on the fifth day of chemo, uh, <laughs> a cycle of chemotherapy uh, that they did not know about until after the trial was over. <laughs> but it was just what I did. It was, it was what I wanted to do to kind of try and escape you know, what I was going through. And it really was not, uh, you know, for a while, years after my diagnosis, did I realize that, you know, I was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and mental health issues that were stemming from my diagnosis. And uh, I think what happened was when I was diagnosed, based on the prognosis, based on what the doctors told me, I was going to die. And as the years went on, I didn't. And I didn't know how to handle that. And that was the biggest challenge for me. And it wasn't until I found a professional mental health care professional that was able to sit me down and say, hey, like, this is what's going on with you. And, you know, there's there's things that we can do to help you. Was it until that, like, I, until I got to that point, me talking about my story and me talking about what I'd been through was devastatingly difficult, but I did it because I thought it was the right thing to do. Thanks for sharing all of that. And I'm, and I'm so sorry for all of the loss in your family and the cancer that's plagued the whole system. That's that's just really hard. And I think a lot of people relate to the way you coped and maybe compartmentalized it. While it probably was taking care of you in a way and nurturing something in you to keep you going, at least to get out of bed in the morning, you're right. That wasn't necessarily something you were doing for yourself. And I think that you knew it was speaking to you. And I'm glad you listened because sometimes people don't get to the point where they can listen to their body and their mind and do something about it. It takes a lot of it takes a lot of freaking guts and a lot of awareness. It is. And it's one of the things that now I I find it important to talk about, especially my journey, because I, I feel like people see parts of my story and there's a general misconception about how I've gotten to where I am and that it's been this linear path of football and surviving brain cancer and now working with uplifting athletes and you know, that it's just been this amazing journey. And it has been an amazing journey, but it's been a difficult one. And, you know, I think that's what's so important about kind of communicating that, that, you know, there's things that everybody goes through that everybody experiences that isn't always public. But, you know, I'm in such a better place now than I was uh, a year ago, three years ago, five years ago. And it, and it's gotten better since I've, you know, sought the, the proper medical help with being able to talk to a, a psychologist that says, hey, like this is this is what you're going through. And you know, this is what we can do to help you. And just recognizing that was was such a huge thing for me because it wasn't that I was 
you know, losing my mind or that I wasn't, you know, going crazy, you know, for lack of a better word. Like I, I just, I didn't know what was wrong and I didn't have an answer for it. So I just kept moving forward in this kind of miserable haze for a while and was able to kind of, you know, hide that uh, and hide it well for the most part. But that taking that step and, and it is, it's a very difficult step. Uh, to take. But once I took that step, it, it changed my life for, for the better. And it changed me from, you know, being in a position where I looked at all the things that I had lost and all that I had, you know, suffered through to all the things that I have and all the things that I have to look forward to. And that's changed, you know, my mindset completely. And I think there's a lot of people, you know, in my shoes and, and probably that will listen to this that have some level of, of survivor's guilt, you know, in, in going through something. And for me, it, it was exacerbated by everything that I did, you know, being able, the fact that, you know, I would go to a, a brain cancer fundraiser or a 5K and see what everybody had been through and for me to physically look okay and to be able to to run a 5k and to do basically to get up and take care of myself and to do whatever I wanted to do like that was hard for me when I was told that I shouldn't even be here and yet here I am and so being able to kind of understand that and take kind of just take stock of, of where I am and, and what I do have and being able to, to spin this all in, in a positive way that I am able to help others and give back and share my story so that others don't have to necessarily go through what I've gone through. I'm so grateful to you as a man, as an athlete, as a young dude, to also just open up like that and, and share the meat of what has happened through the rare disease because you can look at Rob Long's credits and you can see that he's young and vibrant and was so good at football really quick and got a scholarship and everything is awesome. Oh, and then he got brain cancer. Oh, but then it was okay. And now he's great again. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think that's pretty easy for a lot of people to see too, right? I think looking at the good of it and the hope and the inspiration is easier for a lot of people. And I think that's what a lot of people want to relate to. But what you just talked about is something literally everyone can relate to. Not to the same level, of course, but that's real life. And I, I commend you for uh, talking about it and including it in your story and not just a story of this great success of all of the adversity that you've overcome. It's the reality of it. it. It's what I've been through. And I think even, you know, with the the work with Uplifting Athletes, it's such an unbelievable team of people that I work with that allow me to to be in the position that I am. The support that they offer me is just unbelievable. And it's so much more than a job for me in so many different ways because of you know, what we get to do and who I get to work with. And I think that is amazing. But for me, you know, I come from a place where my parents did everything that they could to to take care of my sister and I, and they are amazing people who just grew up in a, you know, very normal middle-class kind of household. And, you know, I didn't really have a, a ton of adversity in my life, right? And I had a good life. I was very fortunate. But then this happened and, you know, you go from the situation where, all right, now you get to really see what you're made of. Like, how are you going to respond to this? How are you going to carry yourself through this and, and move forward? And, you know, for me, 
you know, this is, this is all I, I know, right. Is, is to, to push forward, to do all that I can just wake up in the morning and, and try and put my best foot forward, you know, for whatever it is um, that I'm trying to do. And I think the, the journey is, is part of, you know, the amazing part of life, right. Is that we get to experience all these different things, the highs, the lows. And for me, I, I'm now, I now look back at everything I've been through and I, I honestly wouldn't change a thing because I absolutely love where I am today. I, when I was diagnosed that day, I remember praying to say, if I could live till I was 30, I would take that right now. And I, you know, never thought I'd be married. I never thought I'd own my own home. And these are all things that, you know, I married uh, my wife back in 2019, just one of the most unbelievable people, one of my, my best friend. And like, for me, like that's been an, an amazing reward for all of this that, you know, I wake up every day and I, I have that person by my side and, you know, we moved into our own home and now I, I regret the age thing because now I'm 32 <laughs> and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> but, um, it, you know, for me, it is, it's just the perspective that I was given at a young age has been invaluable for me. And I, I think it's taught me so much. And, and like I said, I wouldn't change it because I love where I am. And, you know, the lesson that I learned from that is, is that, you know, if you're not happy where you're at right now, then, you know, the journey's not over and just keep going. And those are all lessons that you learn along the way. Yeah, I would say that everything that you just said, Rob, is probably your greatest achievement. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, OK, well, I could talk to you forever about this stuff, but I do not want anyone to miss out on knowing about what Uplifting Athletes is. So for those who don't know, tell us about Uplifting Athletes and what exactly your role is with them? Sure. So Uplifting Athletes uh, is a nonprofit organization. We work to serve the rare disease community. We are a disease agnostic organization. So much like uh, NORD or Global Genes, we represent and serve the entire rare disease community. Our mission is to inspire the rare disease community with hope through the power of sport. And how we kind of carry out that mission is by working with athletes to help them realize the platform that they have as athletes and that uh, the platform that athletics has really in this country and around the world uh, and leverage that platform to support the rare disease community. So we have a couple of different ways that, you know, this all happens and, and works. We have a network of of college football chapters that we work with. Our founder, uh, Scott Shirley, played football at Penn State. I obviously played at, at Syracuse and, and Brett, my colleague here at Uplifting Athletes, played at Penn State. So we are very deeply rooted in the college football community. But for, for now, we've been able to grow and grow that footprint within football, working with the college athletes at, at the chapter level. And we've gradually started to expand uh, the work that we've done at the NFL level with uh, what we call Uplifting Ambassadors. But all of this you know, kind of comes back to you know, what we want to do to serve the rare disease community. And so we developed a, a, a program in, in 2018, it launched. Uh, we've been an organization that's always been committed to funding and supporting rare disease research. But we went through a little bit of a, a business model shift before I had started with the organization that we really wanted to find a way that we could uniquely impact rare disease research. And that was the development of this Young Investigator Draft Program and uh, it was one of the first things that I worked on when I started Uplifting Athletes. Scott had this awesome idea for taking the concept of the NFL draft, where we draft the top athletes in the country 
and spinning it on its head and saying, you know, what if we applied this to the rare disease community? And so we developed this young investigator draft where we draft and support and fund and celebrate the top rare disease researchers uh, in the country. And for us, it's just an unbelievable way to honor and celebrate the work that these rare disease researchers are doing. And um, we have this lofty goal of trying to help people really reimagine the way that we support and fund rare disease research. That's super cool. I want to know for uh, families like mine, how do they get involved with uplifting athletes exactly? Is this just for their advocacy groups or can families on the individual basis like sign up to do whatever with you? Yeah, so it's a great question. I have two answers for you. So for the patient advocacy organizations, that's primarily how we've been able to work with the members of the rare disease community through the Young Investigator Draft. And so one of the the things that you know, probably one of my my core values is is the belief of collaboration and working together. And so what we're trying to do is to drive and, and really celebrate that collaborative effort in rare disease research. So what we've done through the Young Investigator Draft is developed a program that asks patient advocacy organizations to nominate rare disease researchers within their disease state to be recognized by uplifting athletes through the Young Investigator Draft. And the reason that we do this is, is really there's two main reasons. One is that we found that researchers were spending anywhere from 40 to 60 percent of their time just to secure funding. And for me, as as a patient, you know, that's not what we want these brilliant minds doing. Uh, we want them, you know, working and researching and, and committed to that stuff that I know that they want to be doing. And so we feel that by developing this this partnership, this bridge between patient advocacy organizations and researchers, that patient advocacy organizations can become the spokespeople for those researchers. They can be the fundraising arm for those researchers and and help them you know, develop a steadier stream of income to help move that research forward. Secondarily, we also understand that no matter how amazing these researchers are, how well-intentioned they are, we have to make sure that they have an understanding of the needs of the rare disease community, specifically the patients in that uh, patient population that they're, they're doing research on. And so we want to make sure that those researchers are focusing on the top priorities of the patient advocacy organization and the needs of the patient community. And so by making this application for the Young Investigator Draft, a joint application, we're encouraging that collaboration, communication between these two entities that need so badly to work together. And then we co-fund the research grants uh, with the patient advocacy organization for that researcher. And one of the other things that I, I think is maybe unique about uplifting athletes is that any of our research grants are to be used at the sole discretion of those researchers. And so for us, uh, we want those researchers to use that funding any way that they need to move their research forward. If they need to, to hire an intern for the summer, if they need to develop mouse models, if they need supplies, whatever it is to move that research forward, that's what this grant is for. And the idea behind it is that we're planting these seeds throughout the rare disease community with these young investigators, investing in the people behind the research with the hope that the work that they do ultimately leads to a similar outcome as to what I've had. When I sat in that exam room a little over 10 years ago, I was told that there's no cure for what I have. And that's incredibly difficult to, to hear. But the one thing that makes me extremely lucky is that I had a chance. There was a therapy that had been approved just a, a year or so before my diagnosis 
that they were able to try. And it was just that that one opportunity that I had that has allowed me to to still be here 10 years later. And so for me, if we can invest in these researchers, plant these seeds, and hopefully somewhere along the line, we can have that same outcome. That's that's all I'm hoping for. I'll never be able to to thank the researchers and the people that saved my life, but I feel like the least I can do is try to pay that forward. And, you know, I understand that the reason that I'm sitting here talking to you today on this podcast is that there were people at patient advocacy organizations, members of industry that invested time, money, and resources into developing a therapy that just gave me a chance. And I know that's what so many families, all they're looking for is just a chance. And I was uh, one of those fortunate people. And so for me, I want to do all that I can to continue to pay that forward and, and provide those opportunities down the line. I have one of those cheek hurting smiles on my face, Rob. And I think you're right where you're supposed to be. And I love the vision that you guys had to kind of make it moldable and you're not putting super hard restrictions and, you know, the bureaucracy around how they use that money, because I think it's really important to think outside of the box in rare disease. And you guys have allowed that freedom with that. So that's super cool. I love it. So I know one of your biggest fans, Marnie Cartelli, she told me that Uplifting Athletes has like saved her life and she's so inspired by you. If you want to give her a shout out, you'd probably make her day. <laughs> oh, Marnie, you're the best. Marnie is the best. I am I'm thinking of her. I know um, we're all thinking of her. I know her mom is, has been sick, um, but we, we love Marnie um, and her husband and her whole family. Marnie's been incredible. What she's done for our organization, I don't think she fully understands. I know she tells us all the time that, you know, we've helped her out, but I think she's helped us out um, both as an organization and just as personally. She's an amazing person, an amazing rare disease advocate and um, somebody that always has shed light and perspective on me that, you know, that I, I, I absolutely love to have. And she's always honest and straightforward with, with what she has to say. And I love her for that and respect her so much. She's a, an amazing human being that, that has uh, been through a lot and done so much to, to help so many people as well. I totally agree. Thank you so much. That was very kind of you. And I really just have one more question before I let you go. I was wondering who would play you in a movie? Oh God, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, honestly, I'm not prepared to answer that question. <laughs> I'm going to think about I it. I don't have a good I'm going to think about it. I'm really good at it. So I will say there was a there there was a movie, and this is a little bit of a tangent. It was a a, a movie back in the day. There was, a, and he's not a famous actor by any stretch. The, the, there was a kid that looked like me when I was like 13 or 14 years old. And I feel like it was like a Kevin Costner movie or something like that. I was just going to say a Kevin Costner type person. Yeah, something. I don't know who it was, but if I find that that actor, I'll I'll shoot it over to you and that'll be my answer. (laughs) Okay, good. Because you totally remind me of someone and I can't put my finger on it. All right. You're the best. Thank you so much for being my guest. And thanks for just being so honest and open and driven and inspiring. And we all think you're a badass. So keep doing it. And thanks so much again. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the the opportunity to to talk and share on your platform. I, I appreciate it. And uh, thank you for all that you do and all you're doing. It's awesome. And I truly think uh, the rare disease community is just full of some of the best humans that have ever walked this earth. And it is my joy to to get to know them as friends. Amen. 
I totally agree. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you. Ha 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 